Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world. Produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Tisha Nahern. Well, the next round of United Nations global climate negotiations begin in Paris on the 30th of November. It's the 21st International Climate Meeting, otherwise known as COP21. And it follows on from a long list of meetings, which we often hear referred to by shorthand. Think of Rio, Kyoto, Copenhagen. And it might seem a little bit like Groundhog Day. Well, it certainly feels like that to me. But what do you want to hear when we discuss the Paris climate talks? The mainstream media will be all over it for a hot second talking to politicians and business interests. You can probably almost hear the lines in your head now. But what about those who aren't inside the negotiations, who aren't on TV, but are the ones most affected by climate change? I mean, what about the rest of us? Well, on today's show, we'll be hearing three different perspectives from three different campaigns. We'll hear from local Indigenous activists, unionists and health professionals all tackling this threat of capitalist-induced climate change. I'm Millie Telford. I'm um, a young woman from Bunchalung country from the Mitchell clan up in northern New South Wales. Um, also, shout out to my South Sea heritage and Kiwi heritage on my mum's side. But anyway, so yeah, I work with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people all across the country who are part of our SEED Indigenous Youth Climate Network. And basically, we're young Indigenous people who care about our land, culture, um, the climate and our future as young people. And so we're doing everything we can to stand up for it. And Paul's one of our awesome young volunteers down here in Victoria. Yeah, yeah, I'm the state co-coordinator um, for SEED. And yeah, it's really awesome doing this kind of you know, work as a, a volunteer capacity. Yeah, it's really, really like meaningful, meaningful stuff. Mm. So you've got people going over to the Paris negotiations? Yes, we do. We've got, we've got a small team. Um, I will be going over... We yeah we held a, a fundraiser last night and were able to yeah do really well and it was it was an awesome night um, yeah I'm really, really looking forward to going over it's going to be um, yeah really really like really great time yeah so you're obviously um, not in, not invited by the world leaders to take part in the negotiations you'll be part of something far more important and probably. Um, probably have a greater impact than a lot of the people in the negotiations. Um, it was mentioned that um, there's there's a whole congregation or con- um, convergence of um, Indigenous land rights um, and climate activists um, in Paris. Is that something that you're going to be part of? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yes, SEED uh, will be, um, like, hooking up with a lot of other groups over there. So we'll be, like, meeting up with other First Nation groups from around the world, um, being part of the Indigenous caucus and... Uh, when we arrive, we'll be going straight to uh, Koi, which is the youth conference. Uh, once we get there, so um, that's going to be really, um, you know, really exciting too. Um, and then with uh, like COP twenty one, like the the conference for two weeks, we're going to be like attending like meetings over there and like lobbying and like um, meeting other groups as well. So, yeah, being part of it all really. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, and Amelia, you mentioned um, when we spoke earlier that Seed is working on campaigns that directly relate to climate action. Can you give us a bit of info about those? Yeah, for sure. So over the last year, 
um, and a bit we've been, so we've kind of formed through the Australian Youth Climate Coalition um, as, you know, a branch of the AYCC that specifically works with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people. And one of the biggest campaigns that we've been working on nationally um, in partnership with a whole heap of other environment groups and groups that care about climate change as well um, to try and stop the proposed um, opening of the Galilee Basin, um, which is a huge coal reserve up in Queensland, one of the largest coal reserves in the world. Um, and um, there's a proposal on the table at the moment to build the Carmichael coal mine um, as well as a railway line out to the coast um, right on the Great Barrier Reef, um, expand a huge big coal port and ship about 7,000 coal ships through the Great Barrier Reef every year um, to go overseas and to be burnt and to fuel the climate crisis um, even more. And so, you know, not only is it um, an issue that would drastically impact, um, you know, communities that face the impacts of climate change, but it's also destroying sacred um, Aboriginal country, culture um, and, you know, the livelihoods of a lot of people up in Queensland and also, the, you know, others that would be impacted across the country. So there's a variety of different ways that we've been working on it. One of the biggest um, ones that a lot of the young people across the country have been doing is um, kind of lobbying banks. So to try and get Australian banks to not with um, not put funding into this project and we've already seen Commonwealth Bank um, and NAB publicly rule out funding it which is amazing as well as as well as about 13 international banks so um, you know economically it doesn't stack up and environmentally it doesn't stack up and for Indigenous people it doesn't stack up either and so um, we'll hopefully see that project collapse pretty soon that you know would have a bit of a domino effect on all fossil fuel projects across, um, you know, the country, coal and gas projects and, and around the world as well. Mm, divestment seems like it's become a really um, significant tool for people who are working working in this area to prevent these big projects from going ahead. Um, I've been reading um, there's kind of a lot of conflicting um, reports being put forward in, in the Australian media, particularly in the Australian Financial Review, which seems to mm. want to boost confidence um, yeah. in investment for these projects where they'll say, Oh, people say that the the economy of coal is um, is not looking too great, but we say it's all it's all fine. It's all looking looking quite well. We're all on the upswing, um, and and it it just seems like they're they're trying to build a bit of a fiction um, when you have people um, who aren't really invested in making money from these projects saying that the economics of coal isn't really stacking up. It, it isn't. Um, what, what was the word? isn't good for humanity, it isn't for the future of Australia. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the governments and corporations that rely on these industries, um, until they collapse, they're going to say that they're going really, really well. You know, it's kind of like um, what they have to do to protect themselves in a way. But the thing that's so, so disappointing um, and disgusting even is the way that they're using that kind of um, the so tapping into so people's social values around saying that coal is... Um, you know, something that's good for humanity and also is needed to um, support communities um, to get out of poverty, places, you know, in India. And it's just like, well, actually, you know, when have, you know, when have you ever really cared about the world's poorest people? Um, and do you really think that those people um, are actually going to benefit from it when mm. the coal does get shipped over there? Like, I really don't think so. What they would benefit from is solar panels on the roof of all of their houses so that they would actually be getting energy. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's quite a, a challenging argument when they're trying to tap into those values when, you know, it goes against everything else that they do. Mm. And, and framing it as humanitarian when it's actually multinationals profiting from selling coal exports, it's, it seems so so contradictory to place these multinational corporations who who are yeah destroying destroying land um, 
and and seizing upon any kind of opportunity they can to um, to extract any kind of wealth to to be in a position where where they're saying that no we're the we're the good guys um we're um alleviating poverty all, all over the world it's like well what are you, what are you doing for the local people yeah what what are you doing for the people who are the traditional owners of that land definitely um and that that's another issue I'm interested in it's the the consultation like when you have something like um when you have indigenous people standing up and saying this not on my land this isn't this isn't right what what is the response what is what is going on in the heads of these these people who are pushing these projects yeah well um so for example um adani which is the coal company that's trying to get that project off the ground up in queensland um they you know have gone about a pretty corrupt um, consultation process with the Wangan and Jagalingu people who are the traditional owners um, on the land of the Carmichael coal mine. And they, from the like the first day that, you know, they heard about this project have been saying no and no means no, like we don't want this on our land. Um, and yet there's also, you know, a couple of people within that community who are considering it and who do want to go ahead because of the short-term um, kind of economical benefits that they'll get from it. And it's just, yeah, it's it, it, um, it shows you that the systems that we have in place at the moment are really just like a bit of a checkbox system where um, governments and corporations can say, oh, yes, you know, we've talked with the Indigenous people there, the traditional owners, um, but regardless of what they say, we're going to get this project off the ground anyway. So really, we don't have ultimate um, land rights, you know, mm. like we don't have the ultimate decision unless we get out there and do everything that we can um, to stop it from going ahead in, in every way possible. Mm. And what is the point of that consultation really? If if you hear a no, a no means no, and you take it as a yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> why? Yeah, why? Why do we even bother? I, I'm interested in hearing also about um, indigenous leadership because I, I guess like I've, I've been part of the climate movement for probably about six years, um, and and seeing um, that there, there hasn't been a lot of um, indigenous involvement that the, the organizations that I were organizing with were very white dominated organizations what um, what has seed been like for the two of you to be involved in um, perhaps in comparison to other groups that you've seen yeah I guess like um, like seeds involvement is um, like very like very like kind of rare because you know like we are Australia's first indigenous youth climate network so um, especially being youth run as well it's just it's not something that is quite um, like familiar, like in the movement, um, like young people, like we know that young people want to see like the future they want to see, but you don't see like young Aboriginal people in this movement, like at the moment, like it's, yeah, it's really quite a, like um, a new kind of exciting thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of what we also talk about is that our people have been looking after our land sustainably for tens of thousands of years. And um, a lot of what we're doing is fulfilling like our responsibility um, as young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to continue that forward. And um, even though the broader environmental climate movement um, that a lot of people know of, you know, like your Greenpeace, your Australian Conservation Foundation, your WWF, all of that, um, the the modern environmental movement, you know, it doesn't have a great deal of leadership from our people yet. Um, but in many other ways, like locally and in ways that don't, you know, fit the kind of environmental language that you often hear, there are a lot of people out there. It's just connecting us up and actually being able to work together and share our resources and um, try and, you know, form a, a bit more of a united front. Mm. And how does SEED resp- respond to people um, who claim to be Aboriginal leaders um, speaking for groups, perhaps not 
as um, youth um, youth leaders, but people like Warren Mundine who are putting forward these um, what they think is is right for the climate, what they think is right for um, for mining companies. Um, what what's what's your kind of response um, to to these so called leaders? Yeah, there, there's a lot of um, you know people out there who. If anyone claims that they speak for all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, you know, that, that's the first step where you go wrong because you can't speak for all of us. We're so different. We're so diverse. Um, we're all individual human beings, a part of, you know, a shared race. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of diversity. And so it does get really challenging when there's people who hold a lot of power and influence who um, get seen by a lot of people in society as leaders who speak for us. Um, but they really don't. And, you know, we've had young people who've written pieces about it um, um, in particular you know about some comments that Warren Mundine himself did make about um, Aboriginal people developing our own economy and you know I, I agree with a lot of that but not if it comes at the expense of losing more of our culture more of our land more of our people because we've already lost enough like we can't lose anymore and we need to be doing things that actually build us up and pre- um, preserve what we have left. Check out our, uh, our website seedmob.org.au um, and just like have a look around and see what we're up to. Um, you can have a look at what we've like what we've been doing as well. Um, and you can sign our declaration. Um, it's on the front page, I believe. And also you can uh, like support us in any way, or if you want to volunteer, so you can um, in any capacity you want. Uh, like we we check all the time and make sure that anyone who wants to be involved can be involved. Um, and you can donate because you know if we if we can continue what we can do. Um, that support is really helpful, um, and also we've got a, we're on Facebook as well um, with Seed Indigenous Youth Climate Network, um, and yeah, you can see all the updates that we've got, and um, yeah, like everything that we we're doing and like everything we're talking about is on there. That was Amelia Telford and Paul Geary from Seed, the Indigenous Youth Climate Network. You're listening to Earth Matters environmental justice stories on the Community Radio Network. On this week's show, as politicians from around the world meet in Paris for the latest round of climate talks, we're hearing some of the voices of resistance from below. Colin Long is a unionist with the National Tertiary Education Union and was part of the recent Climate March's union working group. Colin started by talking about why workers and trade unionists should be concerned about climate change. It's inevitable there will be major restructuring of the the national and the global economy to deal with climate change. We'll either do it in a planned way or it'll be done in a chaotic crisis way as a result of failure to take action. But there will be serious restructuring of the economy. And if unions are not involved in representing workers when there's restructurings, we know what happens. Workers get uh, screwed in the end, to be frank. We've seen that in the past when the Victorian electricity industry was privatised in the 90s. That led to uh, massive job losses for workers in the Latrobe Valley and other parts of the electricity industry because workers and their unions weren't adequately incorporated in the restructuring process. So we demand that workers, through their unions, are properly represented in the discussions and planning for uh, restructuring. And also we know that really to deal with climate change is going to require a shift to very different ways of um, doing things and a very different form of economy. It's going to be a much more cooperative economy. 
Uh, it's going to have a lot more emphasis on renewable industry and sustainable industry. And those are industries where there will be great job growth and huge, huge jobs growth. And we want to make sure they're good jobs and union jobs. So we have a big interest in ensuring that climate change is dealt with and in calling our members to attend the climate marches on the weekend. Within your union, the National Tertiary Education Union, what changes would you expect um, would would be brought upon um, your members in these, um, I guess, these chaotic times um, if there is a planned transition um, to renewable energies and to address climate change or if uh, there's a more kind of chaotic um, chaotic environment? Well, I'm hoping there won't be a chaotic <laughs> transition to, you know, to uh, a different form of economy. I mean, there's enough chaos in the world at the moment. We don't need to add to it. So Certainly. that's why we're really calling for a planned transition uh, and quick action and early action on climate change because then we can plan and manage the transition. For us as a union, to be to be honest, the, the, the impacts on us are not as serious as they are on some other unions. Unions covering... Um, extraction industries like coal mining and so on are definitely feeling it tough at the moment. They're doing it tough at the moment. It is it is difficult for them. Uh, their, their industry is under threat. And, you know, in, in the end, the coal industry will have to be phased out. Um, what we're asking for for those industries is a, ser- a plan where there is serious consideration given to how the workers in those industries will be transitioned to in, into other work and good, decent work, not just, um, you know, they don't all want to be tour guides in um, <clears throat> in remote parts of Australia. They, we want them to get decent union, well-paying employment. And that'll be, a lot of that will be in renewable energy and renewable energy manufacturing. For our union, uh, we, we cover, as you know, staff in universities and so a lot of our, a lot of the world's, well, certainly Australia's climate scientists are members of ours. So it's very important for us to be representing their, the importance of science in the public debate. But so that's one reason for our union to be heavily involved. The other is that uh, universities are public institutions. We're heavily dependent on public funding already struggling with governments cutting public funding to universities. And that will only become a more uh, serious problem uh, as uh, governments try to deal with crises associated with uh, climate change and have to put huge amounts of money into infrastructure, into um, if there are you know, particular um, storm events or crises. We saw already when the, the Queensland floods a couple of years ago when we were all had to pay an extra levy on our taxes to deal with the, the problems caused by those floods. Now, if that's um, multiplied several times over in the face of climate change, then that is a big drain on the public purse and that makes it harder to provide the sort of um, public goods that we've all got used to, like decent health care and decent education. So they're the sorts of things that concerns us, concern us. Um, for listeners who are union members, what would you encourage them to to do? Um, I guess there's the the People's Climate March coming up. Um, what about within their unions? Yeah, certainly coming to the People's Climate March is, is vital and any sort of public engagement in the climate issue. But within unions, there are a number of unions now. I think they, that are really taking 
a serious look at climate change and making it a serious component of their union's work. So I really encourage unionists to get involved in um, making sure that their unions have good policy around climate change and that they enforce that policy. Um, and where the unions are not taking it seriously enough at this stage, that, that unionists do start to push from within to for their leaderships to take the issue of climate change seriously. And I, there's no union that I can think of where climate change is not a major issue. If you're in manufacturing, then there are ramifications for workers in industries that have high carbon emissions, so that's relevant. But there are also the opportunities for the creation of new jobs in manufacturing renewable energy technologies. If you're in the emergency services, well, they are the frontline responders already to climate emergencies where when you have heat waves, fires, storms, it's the emergency service workers that are thrown into the front line to deal with the ramifications of those emergencies. So that you know those unions in particular have a real interest in ensuring that they take climate change seriously. So every union um, it is a big issue and I encourage members to to raise the issue within their union and to push it hard. Colin Wong from the NTEU. Health workers have a unique perspective on the impacts of climate change. Natasha Saunders introduces us to Healthy Futures. Healthy Futures, their mission is sort of clean air, clean water and a safe climate. But more specifically, so we all know that climate change is contributed to by fossil fuels and 43% um, of coal contributes to fossil fuel production and climate change. So um, there are indirect effects and direct effects to health. So the direct effects are things that sort of pollute the water like... um, unconventional gas fracking, polluting groundwater and um, poor air quality and things like that. And then the indirect effects are the effects that climate change contributes itself. So climate change contributes to ischemic heart disease, strokes, um, heart attacks. It also contributes to respiratory illness. And I think that it's um, founded that hundreds of thousand people worldwide each year die as a consequence of climate change. Mm. And how are these effects um, spread through the community? As in how, how, how does the com- how is this community affected? Yeah. Um, so it's definitely the lower socioeconomic people that are mostly affected. So um, people who don't have adequate housing, people who are sort of facing the elements on the street. Um, definitely there's an increase in natural disasters. So obviously homeless people who are affected most by natural disasters and lower socioeconomic people. And it's these people who really need our help the most um, who are affected the most. So the spread isn't, isn't even, but no but is spared, if that makes sense. Mm. And what is Healthy Futures calling for in terms of action on climate change? Uh, so at the moment we have one specific campaign which is directed towards HESTA. So HESTA is the leading health industry super fund at the moment um, which has thousands of members within the health sector and um, they've done amazingly in the past to divest their money and put put their money into ethical investments like they took their money out of tobacco invest, investments in the past and so at the moment we're calling for them to divest their investments out of um, fossil fuel projects. Is there much of a precedent of um, large super funds divesting in this way? Uh, so a lot of large organisations have divested. Um, I think Stanford University mm-hmm. and... Um, I'm thinking I should have written them down. There's, there's, <laughs> there's just many. so many. Yeah, yeah, there is so many. So 
And because Hester's done so well in the past, we thought this is a great Certainly. one to target. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's great to target those um, those organisations who who seem like they're they're mostly on board with this stuff, but probably need um, yeah. a bit more of a push. Yeah, exactly right. And it it would be nice to show them that so many of their members um, care about this issue and that it's so inextricably linked to health that it would be. Um, pretty silly to ignore it, really. Okay, so if um, people listening are HESTA members in yep. particular, yep. I'm a HESTA member myself and are I'm you? interested to know um, <laughs> okay. how, how we can support um, HESTA divesting from fossil fuels. Yeah, so I think 350.org is also running a campaign, but if you want to go um, to the Healthy Futures website, which is www.healthyfutures.net.au, they have um, a campaign tab at the top and you can go and put your details in and that'll send an automatic email to Hester to say this is what's important to me and this is what I care about and what's your response to that. Fantastic. Have you had much of a response back from Hester at this point or are you kind of in the early stages of the campaign? Yeah, sort of still in the early stages, but um, I think the leader, Harry Jennings, is um, trying to organise a meeting with them. So, And it's looking positive. Like I think they want to listen to their members. So, Natasha Saunders from Healthy Futures. You've been listening to Earth Matters. Australia's weekly environmental justice program for Community Radio. I'm Tisha Nahern. We've been hearing from trade unionists, Indigenous activists and health professionals all campaigning on climate change. And a very big thank you to Regan Bleachmore from 3CR's Wednesday Breakfast for these interviews. If you missed any of today's show, you can find our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the show out to you. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the lands of the Kulin Nations. You can contact us on 03 9419 8377 or earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. I hope you can tune in next week for more Earth Matters. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.